Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. We are blessed again today to open the Bible to learn from the Master how to manage what the Master is teaching us. And it's a great uh, opportunity to look at a very interesting uh, topic today, the tithing contract. I'd like to welcome uh, the panel today and I'll say hello to Denise. Uh, good to have you with us, Denise. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you, Nick. Jenny, it's good to have you part of this program too. Thank you, Nick. Nice to be here with you. Joe, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Nick. Thank you. And Len, it's good to have you too. Thank you. It's a privilege to open God's Word and to share it. And hello, listeners. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. I always feel safe, surrounded by so much wisdom. Hmm. Ken, thank you for putting some time aside and join us too. Thank you, Nick. And uh, really, really looking forward to this fascinating topic that we're going to delve into today. Brenton. First of all, thank you for um, putting together this uh, Bible study and welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's been a pleasure putting it together. And just looking at the list of Bible studies that we're doing over the next few weeks and what we have done, it's rather interesting managing for the Master. As we study the subject today of uh, tithing, I think we're going to find it quite, uh, quite an interesting one. I made a couple of notes that I just thought I would share before we get into our study properly. Properly, um, God is the ownership, or the owner rather, of everything as creator. However, as we cre were created in God's image and brought back by Christ through his death on the cross, we are now members of his family. God made this earth and entrusted the oversight to Adam and Eve. Even though man sinned, we have been redeemed. As members of God's family, God has promised to provide for our needs, but asks us to lay up treasure in heaven, which means helping others and putting God first in everything. And we did study in an earlier study, Matthew 6, 19 and 20 to 21. Point two is our second study, which we did last week, which Glenn led us in. Uh, it was emphasized that God's covenant with us can be two, two types. There can be a bilateral covenant which is a two-party covenant, and there are also unilateral covenants where God promises to do something or not do it, independent of any response that we may or may not do on our part. We also learned that the word tithe means 10% and discussed that faithfulness in tithing and offerings resulted in God pouring out temporal blessings on us. We were again admonished to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and God will take care of our temporal needs. Before we begin our study on the tithing contract today, uh, there's a statement here that I found challenging personally, which I'm sure our panel would also have found challenging, which I'd like to share, not only with ourselves, but also with the listeners. If all the tithes of our people flowed into the treasury of the Lord, would be as they should, such blessings would be received that gifts and offerings for sacred purposes would be multiplied tenfold. 
and thus the channel between God and man would be kept open. Very challenging statement. Ken, I wondered if you would uh, begin our study today with prayer. Thank you. Heavenly Father, Lord, you make it very clear how you want us to keep our side of the covenant you have put in place for our benefit. Along with the Ten Commandments, we are to return to you a tenth of all that we make from whatever source. Heavenly Father, you are waiting to bless us from the storehouses in heaven, if we will only keep our side of the covenant. Please help us all to understand this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you very much, Ken. We start our study today in the book of Genesis because there probably is a belief around that tithing began uh, with the Jews, and uh, I think it's necessary for us to have a look at the origin of tithing. And, Will, I wondered if you would take us to the book of Genesis where we find the first recorded example of tithing in the Bible. There are a couple of texts in Genesis 14, verse 18 to 20, Wondered if you would be kind enough to read those, but maybe before you do that, just have a look at um, Genesis 13, verse 1 and 2, where it talks about Abram's financial situation before we get to the text that you're going to read. Thanks. Sure. Well, let me give a bit of background, if I may. Thank Um, you. Abraham and his nephew Lot had travelled together and were in Canaan. The Bible describes them both as being wealthy in flocks, herds, and tents. In fact, they had so much that the land couldn't support all their companies and livestock. Their followers and herdsmen had conflict over, uh, well, conflict upon conflict, I would say, until, (laughs) until Abraham suggested that they amicably split the land. Lot chose the fertile valley around Sodom. While Lot and his people were living there, four kings under Chedor Laomar attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the valley and carried away a large percentage of the possessions and many of its citizens as slaves. Lot and his family were among those taken. When the news reached Abraham, He chose 318 servants, chased down and defeated the armies, retrieved Lot and all his possessions, and uh, everything else that uh, these eastern kings had plundered along the way. As Abraham returns home, two kings come out to meet him. One is Sodom's king, who survived, and the other is a mysterious figure. Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of uh, God Most High. Melchizedek, the priest, brings refreshments to Abraham and his army, refreshments of bread and wine, and uh, he says it's as a blessing from God. Abraham immediately responds by giving 10% of all his gain to God's priest, Melchizedek. Now, let me read the text uh, where this happened in Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God most high. 
creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Um, so here we have the first uh, reference to a tithe or a tenth of uh, one's possessions <coughs> being given to, to God. Now, I'd like to just comment quickly on sure. Abraham's tithe to Melchizedek. Uh, we can see that the payment was spontaneous. It was not forced or even requested. Uh, it was paid to God's representative, Melchizedek, because he was a priest as a tithe. And it was fully one-tenth of all the plunder that he took. And, of course, we get reference of this in uh, Hebrews 7, verse 6. I hope that covers it for you, Brenton. Thank you, Will. Um, panel, have any of you others got any comments on this? <laughs> yes, well, there's a question. Yes. And I guess um, there are many people who have been wondering about this. The question is, was Abraham's tithe incidental or was it a significant act? But it's fairly hard to support the idea that it was merely incidental. Yes. So why did he do it? And why did he tithe the spoils? And another question, why 10%? I mean, 10% for us here who live with the decimal system, that's a, a reasonable number. But back then they didn't have a decimal system. No. Uh, the 12 was a significant number. Seven was a significant number. Why 10%? It's uh, suggesting that this was a practice, and this is the first time it's recorded of somebody giving a 10% uh, amount back to the Lord. And uh, so it's not an incidental thing. It's hard to support the fact that it's incidental. It was a practice, not law, although it was really a kind of a law before the Moral yes. law was given. Yes. Mm -hmm. It was a practice yes. done between people and God. And so that's fairly important to uh, realize because it was merely incidental. Well, then it's basically just a gift. But it's not put that way, but he gave it because of his response to the Lord for protecting him and his army against this enemy that uh, they fought. Len, do you think there's a lesson for us today based on thankfulness? Should our returns to God be based on thankfulness? I think the evidence is quite clear mm -hmm. that it's part of our response to God. In another sense, we could probably say it's our duty to God. God gives. We show our appreciation by giving back so that that money does good in God's work. Thank you, Len. Uh, Nick, you had a thought for us. Yeah, I just have probably rather a question, uh, Brenton. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Questions are good. <laughs> I'm just uh, wondering if, uh, in this case, did God adjust it after Ab Abraham's act? 
Or did Abraham had some uh, relationship with God and knew something about this sort of thing? Because you mean prior knowledge? Did he yes, have prior knowledge of it? Even yeah. though we may not have it recorded as a law or as a, a request, but who knows in the in their relationship? Uh, maybe, maybe Abraham knew what that means because uh, God promised Abraham blessings. God uh, promised Abraham if he goes and leaves his place, uh, God will be with him and so on and so forth. Now, we haven't got recorded everything in the Bible of their uh, relationship and their conversations, but it may be something there. You know what? It is something important. And Len mentioned that. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometime probably it's, it's our duty. What I would like to say yeah. is that uh, it will be even more important in a relationship if you think that you want to do this thing because of that relationship, not because it's a duty. Mm-hmm. Because if it's just a duty, you do it to, oh, yeah, I have to do this. But mm-hmm. if because of the relationship, you have the desire to do mm-hmm. this. I think that's, that enriches the relationship and that's good. Not only for that relationship, but for the surroundings, you know, and this yeah. is the case of the, the type which we're talking today. I heard people who are doing that and they don't know God actually. But mm, they learn, mm. they learn that by doing that, they have mm. blessings. Probably they heard from somebody else. That's, you know, it's a blessing because they doing that. I don't know. Uh, but personally, I met people uh, who, who's doing this. Yeah. Mm, thank you. One of the things that just uh, thought, um, touched, um, my mind is that, Abram didn't do this. Um, I agree with you, Len and, uh, and Nick, what you've said. Abram was extremely rich. Paying, paying tithe to him was not a bother. And yet so often we hear about people who, shall we say, are on their backside financially and they're paying a, pay, a faithful tithe to the Lord, even though they probably really can't afford it. Somehow or another, God gets them through it all. But there's a real contrast here with, with a man who's extremely rich and yet gives liberally to the Lord. Um, and he gives it to his servant, as um, Will touched on. I think this leads logically into question, the next question that I'd like to discuss, Len. There are a couple of thoughts here uh, in Genesis 14, verse 21 to 24, and a couple of questions there. I wonder if you could address yourself to those, and then we'll see um, if our panel members have some other thoughts on it. Thanks. Okay, well, I'd like to read the relevant texts. Sure. It's from Genesis chapter 14, verses 21, through to the end of the chapter. And it says, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high. In other words, he uh, this was a custom back then, to mm-hmm. raise one's hand yes. is a, sign- uh, a signal or a s- significant gesture uh, saying it's going to be a vow. All right, verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath 
that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. And then he names these men. All right. Under the terms of war back then, winner takes all. Abram and his men defeated the enemy and uh, got back Lot and the possessions and the people that were taken from Sodom. Abram refused to accept anything from the king of Sodom. In other words, he gave the people and the possessions back, refusing to take anything. Probably one reason is the fact that he was showing his honour to the Lord who gave him the victory in this particular battle. Secondly, he didn't want to have anything to do with wickedness because the people of Sodom were very, very wicked. And um, he thirdly, he didn't want it to be uh, spread around that he was made rich because of all the spoils of war that the king of Sodom allowed him to keep. So he gave the lot that was taken from Sodom back, people and possessions. However, back in those days during war, the enemy soldiers would take things with them. They would have gold inlays on their shields and stuff like that. Yes. Those things Abram kept, and it was on those things that he paid tithe. Abram, as uh, I think you said a moment ago, Brenton, was very rich. Extremely. It wasn't this that made him rich. No. He acknowledged that it was the Lord's blessing. Remember, the Lord said, I want you to leave where you're living and go to a place that I will show you. Abram had the Lord's blessing. It was the Lord who made him rich. Now, one other thing that we should perhaps acknowledge here, Abram acknowledged that God was with him. Yes. That God had blessed him, given him a victory, and these spoils of war were shared amongst his men. He didn't keep it all for himself. He shared it with his men. So he was very fair, very honest, and I think he gives a good model for us as human beings, not to want to have it all for ourselves, but to give credit, and in this case, possessions, credit where credit is due. Okay. Thank you, Len. I think you've covered that very, very well. Any other thoughts, uh, panel members, on this particular one? Do you think that Abram paying tithe on that, which he was entitled to keep under the rules of law, was setting an example to pagan kings? Because these guys were pagans. They were heathens. What What are your thoughts? Has anyone got any thoughts on that? I'm just wondering if um, if they themselves had never heard of it before, and, maybe not. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. And, and and indeed, yeah, coming out of this situation as victors would have been a good incentive for them to perhaps 
you know, pay attention and say, well, let's, let's follow this example. This seems like a good idea. Who is this God? Tell us about your God. I don't know. I'm just surmising, but, um, uh, to me, it seems like a good opportunity as well to, um, to learn more about it. Sure. Let's say you're walking down the street and there's this car with the window down, nobody in it, and the keys in the ignition or lying on the seat. What do you do? Well, I wouldn't take it. Doesn't matter what sort of car it is. I wouldn't take it. It's not my car. I've got a car. God has already allowed me to have a car. In fact, I've got a couple of them and a few motorbikes and other bits and pieces. So this is a bit like Abraham. There was no reason for him to desire that stuff because he already had wealth of his own. Good thought. So yeah. there, was, there was another thing. He wanted to honour God in his life, but he already had all that stuff. Why get more? He'd have to build more tents to store it in. Big, bigger barns. Yes. Okay, Joe. I think there could be also the he let him have. You know, I guess there was also an element of pride in Abraham that it's like I, you know, I won't allow you to think that. Let it not be said that the king of Sodom has enriched Abraham. You know. Yes. Um, good thought. Yeah. <laughs> Very um, good thought. A little bit thought, of pride actually. there, but also that I don't think Abraham would have liked to have spent. A number of years or the rest of his life looking back over his shoulder thinking that someone might have a motive to come after him and challenge him for that property or for those, you know, people or whatever. So I think it was a very smart tactical move to, um, not appear to have gained anything, but to have done it from purely humanitarian reasons. <laughs> no, that's a good thought. Here's something else to just add to that, maybe to think about. Um, under the rules of law, uh, war, as we said, he was entitled to it. But we also need to remember that at this time he was a stranger in that country. He was not a native. He hadn't been born and bred there. Yeah. And so, also, the, so the, uh, the probation hadn't been completed for Sodom and Gomorrah, as we know correct. as well. So yeah. time yeah. had to go on. Technically, so the king of Sodom was to be his slave as well. Mm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and... If you were going to do that, well, then you'd have to kill him because you know that you wouldn't be safe, you know, with a with a slave with a enslaved king and um, his followers. So there's a lot of um, a lot of intrigue there, potential intrigue, and I think Abraham chose the way of peace. Mm. Mm. Yeah, thank you, Nick. You had a thought for us as well. Yeah, I just thought um, that talking about this particular interesting topic, isn't it? Topic, yeah, it's. Um, there are quite few things which we need to take in consideration, and I hope that we'll be able to uh, to open up a little bit more through our discussion. First of all, the reason of giving tithe mm -hmm. is, yes. and it's interesting that Abraham gave to a particular person, not to anybody. You know what okay. I mean? Yes. And that also tells us few things. First of all, is we live in a society when generally speaking people take money from other people to use it for another um let's say uh, humanitarian project as uh, joe just mentioned and that's why we have so 
so much discrepancy in uh, between uh, categories of people in society, you know, because um, people taking, you know, taking advantage yes. of uh, each other and they use that money and they thinking that they use it for good. For example, came in my mind that uh, a lot of celebrities, they're wearing a lot of jewelries um, and then uh, because they are rich, they give uh, to humanitarian project a lot of money, but they don't understand that they, mm. uh, they encourage slavery, for example, for uh, uh, their money and other things. That's what I'm saying. It's very difficult to look uh, from this point of view. But what it matter for me in particular is that God expanded a lot on this principle of bringing food, if you like, in my house, or bring the type into the storehouse. I think this is the principle where we are going yeah. to learn a little bit more what that means to give tithe. Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Um, I found it interesting that the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, whereas the names that um, uh, Len has shared with us from Scripture, Bera means in evil. And Bersha, king of Gomorrah, means in wickedness. So there's a contrast between the name of the king that Abram paid tithe to and the kings around about him. And I think that uh, that is very significant because remember God's plan was that his name and his ways be transmitted to all the earth. And here's a golden opportunity which Abram took in showing others what true tithe paying actually means. Joe, we're moving on, though, from there. We've sort of finished with dear old Abram. And in our study this week, we did touch briefly on um, Jacob, who also promised to pay a tenth if God would be with him. And we know the outcome of that because Jacob became very rich as well. But now we're turning over to the subject of the storehouse, where in Malachi, he talks about bringing the tithes into the storehouse. wonder if you could sort of refer to that, Joe, and also another text that you'll get to in Second Chronicles to give us an indication of where is the storehouse and where was the tithes to be brought. I think there's a lot of interesting biblical history on this, and I'll just read the first part of Malachi. Sure, sure. First, and I'll complete the section a bit later. God says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Well, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That comes from the NLT translation. Yes. And a couple of things from here is that he says bring all of the tithe. Maybe they weren't bringing all of it. Maybe they weren't bringing any. But God God wants the whole thing. And also he uses the word food here, which could either be a physical sustenance but also spiritual food. Now the storehouse, um, as we know from reading our Bibles, was originally the desert sanctuary and later – his temple, and the tithe actually supported the priesthood so that they were able to minister primarily to people's spiritual needs, among other things. 
Now, the because the Israelites weren't bringing in the tithe of their flocks and fields, the Levites, who had very limited land, were probably forced to support themselves and their families doing other things, and yes. hence couldn't yeah. couldn't be you know doing God's work. Hence, the sanctuary services were in a disarray, to say the least, or as often was the case, not being performed at all, making the people very vulnerable to falling back into pagan practices and superstitions. Now, also from biblical history, we know that the temple service were, services were suspended because of wicked kings. Yes. And at times it was because the corruption of the priests themselves that led the people to withhold the tithe and turn to alternative religions around them. And this led to further backsliding all round. Now I'm thinking of the time when Eli was high priest and his sons were a disgrace yes. before God. Yeah. Good example. But were, yeah, but there were others. There were others, other times. Uh, sometimes a temple was even used to store rubbish or mm-hmm. even house heathen deities. At times, these idols were actually being worshipped in the house of God, like in the times of Ezekiel, you might remember. Yes. But uh, refreshingly, under the leadership of good kings like Josiah and Hezekiah, major revivals took place in the temple, or sorry, rather the people brought the tithe and more to the temple, so much so that there wasn't enough room to house it all. Um and from reading, it tells us there was jubilation and celebration of Passover like not for a long time. Yes, yes. The I people, found that interesting. Hmm. Hmm. The people rejoiced in their God. The temple itself was repaired. The services recommenced. Along with this, there was a tearing down of heathen gods throughout Israel, and there was a genuine revival and a wholehearted return to God. Hence, I might add, returning a faithful tithe was often associated with great revival in the lives of God's people. Yes, I believe so. It, mm. it is, yeah. And in answer to, just to refer to Second Chronicles, in answer to Hezekiah's inquiry, Azariah, the chief priest, says, since the people began to bring their contributions to the temple of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and plenty to spare because the Lord has blessed his people and this great amount is left over. What a comment. Yes, what a surplus. Is Is there an application for today? Well, I believe yes. And you might say, well, didn't God understand what led to this withholding of the tithe and offerings? Well, yes, he did. He knew about Hophni and Phineas, and we know that their time was coming. God also knew about the evil kings, which did all to erase the knowledge of God among the people. Yet God still accused them of cheating him. I'd like to ask a question. Isn't doing the right thing a test of faithfulness, especially when no one else, it would appear, is doing the right thing? or even if there are valid reasons for not doing it from our human thinking. Could withholding tithes and offerings be smothering the work of God and allowing other gods with a little g to gain a stronger foothold in the hearts of God's people? God doesn't need our money, but could we be robbing or cheating others of opportunities to hear about God and be saved? In that sense, we are robbing God of his children. And something to consider, isn't it? I, th- I think well, it is, Joe. Yeah, yeah. While in modern society, our lives appear to be far more complicated than living back then, and there are so many more demands on our time and money, 
are we excused from honoring God with our substance? I know that the Bible admonishes us to honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with, with wine. Now, there is a promise attached to Malachi, and I think we've referred to it where it says, if you do, and the storehouse being his church, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Just like those uh, priests said to uh, to Hezekiah, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Isn't that an answer to it in Second Chronicles 31? It is. It is. And so um, while we are honoring God with our substance is out of gratitude and thanksgiving, it's not so we can get more, but it is a starting point. And God throws out this incentive, this challenge to each and every one of us. Thank you, Joe. I think you've covered it well. Uh, Ken, you had a thought, then uh, Len, and then Will. Yeah, I just want to mention, uh, I think what I believe is an important thing, but perhaps many people today think the tithing system has been done away with. But again, we read in Malachi 3 and verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. You turn to me and I will return to you. Now, a great example of this today, actually, is the Jewish nation. A lot of people aren't aware of this, but the Jewish people generally return 20% tithe every week. And if you look at Jerusalem, it may be a small place, but they're very, very clever people and have achieved great things. They have, they have. Um, just before we uh, hear from Len and from Will, um, Joe, going back to what you said in Malachi 3, I find it a very interesting um, chapter because one almost gets the impression that the way Malachi has crafted this chapter, it's a case of um, he's putting himself in the place of God in the sense of asking the people a question and then answering on their behalf. I found that very interesting. But what's interesting about it is it's almost as though, how could you possibly be thinking that we're not returning a faithful tithe to you? There's a certain attitude problem that comes through very clearly in that that chapter, yeah. I think. Len, you had some thoughts for us. Yes, I would like to refer to the promise that God makes to faithful tithe payers. Sure. He says... Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll not have room enough to receive it. Now, years ago, when I was much younger than now, during the summer holidays, I would go to the Riverland and I would pick fruit, mainly apricots. Mm -hmm. Apricots were a big business back then. Um, anyhow... On this particular orchard where I was working, people were Christians. They used to keep the Sabbath and they used to pay the tithe. And a heat wave was approaching. It was very hot. It was going to be uh, over the 40s and the fruit was ripening faster than it could be picked. 
All right, on Friday afternoon, just before the Sabbath came in, all work stopped and we kept the Sabbath. And I said people were Sabbath keepers and tithe payers. On the, the Saturday afternoon, I rode my bike, although it was boiling hot, Ooh, along the, the road at Winky where this orchard was, and I just observed what was happening. Orchard after orchard after orchard, the fruit had been so ripe, and of course it was hot and windy, underneath the trees was a carpet of beautiful ripe apricots everywhere until I got to this orchard where I worked, where the people were tithe payers and Sabbath keepers, there was hardly an apricot on the ground. Now, I saw with my own two eyes here how the Lord had blessed them because they were faithful to him. And I, I will never forget that. It's, it's an important lesson for me and for you too, listeners, to realize that God indeed keeps his promises and we have a contract. It's a covenant we make with God to be faithful to him in obeying him and uh, using what he's given us to help other people, he is faithful Yes, as we are faithful. I think, Len, you must have been um, fruit picking at the Popkey property by some chance. You're quite right. <laughs> Who happens to be my grandmother's sister, <laughs> Mrs Popkey. <laughs> okay, thank you, Will. Len spoke about the blessings that are required, that are uh, described in Malachi 3. On the flip side, I would just quickly like to comment on something else mentioned in Malachi 3. It's the concept of robbing God. Uh, it's quite alarming to me, Brenton. You know, only this week near where I live, mm-hmm. some men with uh, covered faces <clears throat> entered a store and full trolleys with expensive goods. Yes. And it was clear to other customers that they were going to run with it. It was a robbery. And people actually realizing this started filming this on their mobile phones. Yeah, I didn't like that. Mm. And I heard one person call out, I hope you're proud of what you are doing here. You see, theft was ugly to them. I, I cannot imagine or cannot conceive of the horror of robbing God. Thank you, Will. Denise, um, we are coming to a very important point, and that is what is the tithe to be used for? Uh, Numbers 18, 20 to 24 shares that. I wonder if you would share with us your um, research on that and also your thoughts on on that. There was also just a comment I'd like you to, to mention on Deuteronomy 26, 12, a little bit later. Thanks, Denise. Well, Brenton, um, yes, God did give explicit instructions for the use of the tithe. And when we look at Numbers 18, it's talking about the uh, priesthood, the tribe of Levi that were going to be working um, with the priests in the sanctuary. So you had the tribe of Levi, who were the priests who were going to help with yes. the service. Then you have Aaron and his sons and his family that were the priests who were to work inside the sanctuary. And because of this, they couldn't farm land. They didn't have inheritance of any of the land. Uh, mm-hmm. And so they couldn't have flocks. They couldn't grow grain. 
They couldn't do what the the rest of the Israelites were doing. So God uh, made provision for them. And if I look at Numbers 18, 20 to 24, it says this, The Lord said to Aaron, You will have no inheritance in their land, nor will you have any share among them. I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to the Israelites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. From now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility for offences against it. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. They will receive no inheritance among the Israelites. Instead, I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. That is why I said concerning them they will have no inheritance among the Israelites. Mm -hmm. So they were provided for very um, extensively by God. So they were given animals, they were given grain, they were given oil, they were given food from the tithes of the people. Um, as a thank offering for what they were doing for God. And I guess um, this is what happens with our ministers today. We pay our tithe to the church and that tithe is used to pay our ministers for the work that they do in the church. Um, if we have a look at Deuteronomy 26, verse 12, so the question was, was there a welfare component in the tithe? And it seems from... Deuteronomy 26, verse 12, that there was. It says, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite who were working in the sanctuary, the alien, so people who were foreigners in the land, refugees, um, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. So it seems that there was uh, a welfare component to this tie that was to help those who couldn't work, who couldn't fend for themselves. Yeah, thanks, Denise. Um, do you think this is part of the uh, what we call the first tithe, guys, or do you think it could may constitute a second tithe? I'm just throwing it out there for people to think about. Because this was done on the third year and the sixth year, a bit of study is they did their um, they did their farming in seven year cycles. This happened on the third year and also happened on the sixth year. It doesn't seem to have happened every year. So the question I think Denise flowing from what you said is, could this have been possibly a second tithe? Because there is a, some suggestion in scripture about a second tithe, and I know people who have paid a second tithe. So, Len, you had a thought, and then Joe. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to answer the question directly. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I was going to comment on how um, ministers are paid in churches. Now, many ministers in some churches, especially churches with uh, a low uh, congregational uh, low congregation numbers. These ministers don't get very much. However, in the Seventh-day Adventist system, which is used in some other churches, the money is paid into a central fund in the conference yes. and then is distributed evenly uh, amongst the ministers in the sense that ministers get the same wages whether they 
uh, pastors of, of big churches or little churches. And this is a very, very fair system, whereas in churches that I knew when I was younger, uh, there might only be 20 members and the ministers get paid via donations. Yes, that's right. And some of those ministers only have just enough to scrape together to keep alive. Yes. Whereas the tithing system promotes equality amongst the workers in God's work. I think that's a very valid comment, Len. Um, Joe, you had some thoughts for us. In regard to whether there was a second tithe or not, I don't know, but it could very well be that perhaps it was the overflow uh, from the faithful tithe. We know mm, that from that, thought, from, the, yes. from, yeah. from the comment that you read at, right at the beginning, it said that um, such blessing would be received, that gifts and offerings for sacred purposes would be multiplied tenfold. So not only is the giver, the giver of tithes blessed, but the tithe themselves are blessed so that they are able to fulfill all the needs plus as an overflow. What do we do? They, they said to Hezekiah, where do we put all this stuff? So mm. maybe it was just a, a, you know, surplus and, um, that was able to minister to the needs of the, the poor and the foreigners yeah. among them. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, thanks. Nick. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, we mentioned that the tithe is used to, pay the ministers, but it's not only for that. It was mentioned already in what Denise was reading, that um, there are people in need. There are people, uh, and there are lots of projects talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which they will use those money for covering for those needs and projects. Just to to clarify that thing, because some people may say, uh, well, uh, if we all pay tithe, um, that's far more than what the ministers need. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Ken, <laughs> one of the questions <laughs> that I always find interesting because I have actually been asked this question myself and some of our panel members may have also been asked, it. do we pay tithe on the gross amount that we receive on the net amount? What are your thoughts on it, Ken? Hmm. Well, I'd, I'd like to read a little thing here regarding uh we get back from the conference office. That is, studies of membership giving habits reveal that the majority of seven-day Adventists tithe on the gross income. That is, before taxes are taken out. In fact, according to the tithing principle and guidelines published by the General Conference in 1990, I should be computed on the gross amount of a wage or salary earner's income before legally required or other employee authorised deductions. Now, the, the Lord makes clear, uh, and I believe this comes up in Deuteronomy 12, um, verses, yes, yes, I believe right. it's very important. And I think it's something people miss in verse 12, a tenth of all you produce over the year, we are to return a tenth of all we receive, no matter where it comes from. In yes. other words, if we sell something we own, then we should honour God with a tenth of what we receive for it. Now, there's an interesting story in First Kings 17 and 9 to 14, and we pick up the story where Elijah the prophet has been told to flee to Zarephath by the Lord after telling the king Ahab that 
there is going not there's not going to be any rain on the land for three years because Ahab did much evil before the Lord. And I don't think I'll read this because we are running out of time, but basically what happened that he goes to this little town, the prophet Elijah, and there's a woman there that the Lord has keyed up to look after him, but she only has a very small jar of food, and the Lord uh, blesses them because every single day she goes to, to bake bread, these little loaves, this jar is always full. Now, she's not coming down with food. It's, it's not that she's supplied baskets and tons and tons of food, but every single day she has enough there to feed them both, and this lasts for some time. Again, it tells in Psalm 107, verse 9, For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. So God provides for her everyday needs and Elijah's nothing more than nothing less. I think that's covered it pretty well, Ken. I rather like this comment that this minister said when he was asked the question, do I pay tithe on the gross or the net? He said, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? Mm. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was quite good. <laughs> Len? Yes, very quickly. Uh, when I was running my business, I had to pay, uh, I had to have an income. Yes. But I also had expenses. There were expenses in uh, rates and taxes and stuff that I had to buy in order to make an income. In that situation, it was the net income, not including tax. Tax came out of the gross income. Sorry, in my case, then, the net income. First, I'd have an income, then I'd have expenses. So what I would yes, get yes, I'm with you. the net income, I would then pay tithe and taxes, or tithe first, then taxes on the net income. I'm not in that situation now, so it's on my gross income. Hmm. Thank you, Len. That's, uh, that's an interesting thought. Jerry, we're coming to towards the end of our study. Mm. Um, the question that we're dealing with is the subject of an honest and faithful tithe, and Matthew 25, 19 to 21 deals with the particular matter, but I wonder if you could just sort of summarise what is being said here. Sometimes we just keep thinking it's about money. What, what are your thoughts on it? Can I just say that uh, when you talk about an honest or faithful tithe, I think it's both. And perhaps uh, if I could just um, uh, say this, that, you know, things can happen suddenly in life, can't they, unexpectedly? Yes. That can change your financial position quite dramatically. You might lose your job. You might be faced with a health crisis that could severely limit your ability to maintain your level of income. Um, so when we, we talk about an honest tithe, it's still the full 10% of your increase, whatever that is. Yes. Even, even if it's, you know, quite diminished. And a faithful tithe, in my understanding, simply means that you, you don't let circumstances dictate whether or not you do tithe. I think that's important, Jerry. Yes. Yeah. Some, some people say, well, I can't tithe anymore because you know, things have changed. Uh, yeah. And I think the challenge is to continue to tithe and show that uh, you 
you trust God. That's I think that's the, the point. And if we go to those few verses in um, Matthew 25, starting with verse 19, it simply says that uh, after a long time, clearly that means when the Lord comes to uh, settle the accounts, he says, it says that uh, one of the uh, servants had received five talents and he did well with them because he, he doubled them basically. And he is commended by the Lord who says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful and you could translate that also by saying you were trustworthy uh, over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So it's an opportunity for us to put our trust in the Lord. And uh, if we do that, then then God honors that in a big way. So in Proverbs 3, verse 5, we, we looked at that last week, I think. One of the things that it says there is um, don't rely on your own insight or understanding. And people do often. We should trust in the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. understanding. <laughs> and if we do that, you know, if we trust in the Lord, then he will make sure that that you are cared for looked after it's about an attitude of gratitude and and uh you know showing like that, that you trust mm. showing mm. that you trust god mm. and he will look mm. after you mm. what did you think of the four points um that were that we have put together for that one jerry the amount is 10 percent. you've covered that it's taken yep. to the storehouse from where the ministers are paid we covered that earlier in our study Today, yeah. that would relate to the local church or local conference in um, Seventh-day Adventism. Honouring God with the first part of our income, did we put aside our tithe first? We all earn money. It's interesting. When I was growing up, I remember my father, when he would come home, back in those days, they used to receive cash. <laughs> mm, yeah. They would actually have a pay packet with their name yeah. on it and the amount on it, and they would bring it home. I remember Dad, the first thing he used to do when he came home was put his tithe aside. Some of you may have had that experience or seen that experience for yourself. Quickly, Brent, it might be tempting if you have a sudden unexpected bill to pay yes. to, to say, oh, I'll do that first and then I'll deal with the tithe later. Yeah. You know, it could be tempting, but but I think we need to always remember to make God first in everything. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, folk, I think we've come to the end of our study for today. In summary, I'd like to make this comment. God was and is very specific about the amount he claims as his own. We touched on that in, uh, first of all, when Will started us off in Genesis chapter 14 and the relationship of Abram to paying tithe. And right down to our present day, we've touched upon that as well, where Joe and others have uh, given us some thoughts on that. The purpose for which the tithe is used, Denise touched on, let us pledge or renew our pledge to return an honest and faithful tithe to him. I want to leave a challenge with our listeners. Maybe, listener, you have never paid tithe before. Maybe you're wondering how you should go about it. So I would suggest that you contact Faith FM if you want to explore this subject in more detail, I believe we've given a sound biblical basis for why we should pay tithe, who we should pay it to, and what it's used for. Um, if you require further information, I'm sure contacting Faith FM, they can help you. 
I'd uh, like to say in closing, God bless you as you consider his faithfulness. First and foremost, we need to consider God's faithfulness as we consider our response to that faithfulness. Mm -hmm. I wonder, Will, would you like to close with prayer for us, please? Certainly. Our dear Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your amazing mercy and the undeserved salvation offered to every one of your children. We are truly grateful. Yes. Now we find the question of the psalmist tugging at our hearts and consciences today. What shall I return to the Lord for all of his goodness to me? May our decisions, Lord, be inspired by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm. Amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for uh, your input today, your participation. I think this is very important topic to look at, particularly in these days where when people have all sorts of uh, ideas in regard to their faithfulness, we look into the Bible and uh, pull out, you know, some thoughts from the Bible in regard to this. And my dear friend listening today, if you like to know more, as Brenton was just uh, mentioning, please contact us and we are more than happy to provide some additional information to help you to look into the, uh, you know, right place, to to be able to look into the Bible and put together uh, information for this um, particular topic. And if you like to do that, you can uh, even call us on 0401-305-077 or you can write an email to ioncrita at yahoo.com. That's I-O-N-C-R-E-T-A at yahoo.com. Alternatively, you can uh, contact uh, Faith FM and maybe mention this program mm. and uh, we'll uh, organize something for you. Well, uh, we would like to thank again everyone for uh, this time. Next uh, week, we are inviting you to join us again because we are going to expand a little bit more and um, study about offerings for Jesus. I wonder what that means. May God bless you. And until then, stay safe. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.